0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen. If you're thankful for Coastline, say amen. Amen. I'm grateful for this church. And as I said, Lisa and I were gone last week at Rock Hill. And that was an exciting time for us, really, to see we've got a daughter that attends Rock Hill and to see the enthusiasm, the joy they have there. And uh, Lisa and I, we looked around. We thought, you know, we're the old people in this church. It's a bunch of young people. They're very enthusiastic. And uh, if you're listening right now, say amen. Amen. As I preach, if I said something good, spontaneous applause. And I thought, that well, I haven't said anything good yet, okay? Um, but I thought, well, why does that not happen at Coastline? I, I don't know that it even needs to, but man, they were just on fire, the joy there. And um, it, I, I, I said as I was leaving, if you can't preach at Rock Hill, you just can't preach because they pull it out of you, man. They just encourage you, and uh, it's really a symbiotic thing, you know? I was wanting to give, and they were wanting to receive, and and uh, uh, they were having fun, and, and I was having fun, and, and uh, it was a great, great time. But you know, as I left there and saw a need being met in that community, and I I thought of the need that's being met in in our community. I I thought, you know, I'm grateful for every person that comes to Coastline. But I live with an awareness that we only have one life to live. One life. How soon it will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. And the ministry that I'll give today are to these seats that are filled, but I'm always thinking of the empty seats and those who have yet to be reached. And as God continues to work here, we know that we're embarked already uh, on a a project to seek to make more space, more room, more classrooms. Uh, And uh, so we've had what we call the Heart for the House campaign. And uh, we've talked a lot about that as a church. I want to give you just a brief uh, update. We've done all we can do in terms of filling forms out and all the preliminary work. It's in the hands now of the city, and uh, our architect, working with them as our representative at this point, and uh, it's. Maybe three to six month process where they review the project and and you know put their two cents worth in and uh, Then there will be a a time where the city council will uh, give a a yay or nay and at this point we had a, a developers conference I met with every department head in the building department everyone I think there's nine of them something like that not one negative word's been said uh, everyone said it seems to fit well and it's been all good news and so we're to that point uh, once we get through the three to six month process where they review we have another three to six month or four to seven month, depending who you talk to process where they go over construction drawings and then Lord willing we'll break ground and uh, we're gonna get things going and so I'm very encouraged I wanted you to know we're moving ahead Ahead as quickly as we can and uh, so that's where we are at this moment on Thanksgiving Sunday I, I believe I shared with you that about 280,000 something like that had come in towards this project from those in our church who committed to be a part uh, currently we're at about 360,000 and uh, so I'm grateful for that for those of you who made those commitments and they're uh, coming in man let's keep that up and uh, let's know this that we're not here just for us we're here to reach other people and uh, this is a great opportunity to do that the moment a church gets inward and selfish they're dead they may not know it yet but they're dead but when a church has a heart for those who have yet to meet jesus that's a place where beautiful thing happens where people are saved and lives are changed and it's just an incredible incredible thing and uh, in this day and age man i'm so glad i get to be a part of a church that's moving forward for jesus christ and uh, it's a wonderful wonderful thing 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where I ask you to turn, and uh, we've been involved uh, so far this year in, in a study. Last week, Jeremy uh, brought a great message, and, and we've been talking about ways in which we can move forward in, in a new year. I, I talked earlier about key decisions that could be made, and we talked about the importance of decisions that are made early uh, in a year. We've talked about how to move forward in life when we feel bogged down, or as the Bible said, when we feel cast down and, and it's inevitable we're going to have days and seasons in the course of a year where uh, we need that encouragement to move forward and today I want to share some truths that I believe can help each of us but they're truths that can also help us to help others and, and as you know by now we're preparing to kick off another season of small groups here and And uh, it's my prayer I want to be very clear on the front end of this message It's my prayer that as we study this passage today There would be some believers who the word will resonate with you and you'll see I you'll say in your heart I see now why it's so important for me to make a commitment and a connection With other believers and small groups are a way in which that can be done for those of you who've already made a determination Hey, i'm in I want to do life with other people of faith I hope this message helps you to better understand how that can be done when we actually get into those groups and so we can be greatly encouraged by this passage that highlights that truth we're going to look today at just one verse but i'll share many others in the course of our study if you're able i'd like to invite you to join me in standing first thessalonians chapter five and i'm going to read verse 14 the apostle paul here writing says now we exhort you brethren Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. How many of you wish the last part there said, try to be patient to most everyone? (laughs) God always brings a few people in our lives to help us to grow in that area. But Paul here really shares a formula that can enable all of us to live together with Christ. And Christian community. I want you just to go back to the first words of verse 14 where he said, Now we exhort you. And that word exhort, it's strong. He says, Man, I'm bringing my heart to you in this regard. There are just some things you need to know. Our Father, again, we thank you for the word, the truth of it. We thank you for your church. God, I thank you specifically for this church and for these people. And we need you today. Help us as we study. May we not only understand, but may we then apply what we learn so that we may live as you would have. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The word came in that they were going through a very, very hard time. And he knew it was going to be tough, and as the reports came in, his heart was so heavy. He he desperately wanted to go and be with them, but it just wasn't possible at that time. He'd only been with them a very short time, maybe as short as three weeks. And it was out of that brief time where the Apostle Paul ministered that the church we call the church in Thessalonica was started as Paul was there ministering at Thessalonica, perhaps he intended to stay longer. But what we do know is that there are some things that unfolded that caused him to have to leave. In Thessalonica, as he was preaching the word and people were getting saved and turning to Jesus Christ. There were some that didn't like the message of Jesus Christ. There always are. And in Thessalonica, they decided, decided to start a riot. And because of the riot, Paul was forced from these believers that he loved in in Thessalonica. He had to leave them in that moment. Paul left Thessalonica. He went to a town called Berea. And there he started to tell people about Jesus. But those haters from Thessalonica came to Berea and caused more trouble. So Paul had to leave Berea. He then went to Athens. And while he was in Athens, his heart was just broken for his brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica. There was so much he wanted to say to them, so much he wanted to give them. Paul then sent one of his co-workers, a man by the name of Timothy, back to Thessalonica to check on them and then to bring him back word. By the time Timothy caught up with the apostle Paul, he was in Athens doing there what he did everywhere, preaching and teaching the word of God. And and as Timothy brought the update, man, it tore Paul up even more. It confirmed so much of what he had feared. Some he heard had died there and all of them were enduring persecution. And they had questions that deserved answers. And one of the main questions they asked was this, Paul, you said Jesus is gonna come again, but we've had friends that have died and he hasn't come back yet. What happens to those who die before Jesus comes again? Of course, Paul shared with them the truths of the word of God. We know if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. And he said that when Jesus comes again, he said the dead in Christ will rise first. And he said, don't worry about that. The the corruptible will be made incorruptible in that time. And he would go on to encourage them. But as he comes to the end of this letter, we call the first epistle of Thessalonians, he begins to share some strength and encouragement with them. Knowing who they are, what they need, what they're going through. He, he just begins to share from his heart uh, things that will help them to keep going for Jesus and with Jesus. Shortly before handing this letter off so that it could be delivered, we come to verse 14 where we find the words we read a moment ago. I, I want you to know today, and it's imperative for you to understand, these were not dry words from some religious figure. This was not a religious edict where Paul is writing in the verse I read a moment ago and he's just trying to heap on commands and give them more things to add to a spiritual to-do list. That's not at all what it was about. This was a man of God who loved the people of God and from his heart was saying, guys, you've got to get this. You've got to understand this. You're, You're not going to have longevity in your life of faith unless you nail down some of these truths in your lives. By way of application of this incredible verse, we find God's revealed will for each of his children in relationship to our interconnectedness and the need to truly live in Christian community. You see, it was and always has been about so much more than sitting in an auditorium once a week. I'm glad that you're here but it's about more than that. It's about living life together with the family of faith. And as we study this verse, we're going to see how this is carried out in a very practical, practical way. And we're going to see how that's done here at Coastline through what we call small groups. And so as we, as we dig into Paul's words here and as we see the role that small groups play, I want us to see, first of all, that small groups in a church, it's a place to receive, number one, counsel for direction, counsel for direction now let's listen again to the beginning of verse 14 paul wrote there now we exhort you brethren warn them that are unruly now again paul's using the most aggressive terminology he possibly can he's not trying to run roughshod over anybody he's not trying to be a tough guy he's not trying to be autocratic again we've got to get the picture he's got a heart of passion for these people and he's like I don't know when I'm going to get there. I don't know when I'm going to have an opportunity to speak to you next. You've got to get what I'm telling you now. This is so, so important. He's exhorting them, and he uses the term brother, a family term. And then he says, warn them that are unruly. Now, the word warn here means to instruct or admonish. It's the idea of counsel, counseling people. Uh, To warn means to uh, instruct or or admonish. It's the concept of counseling. And then he he speaks of the unruly here. The word unruly was actually a military term. It it referred to troops who were marching in order, in cadence, and and one one of the uh, soldiers would step out of line and go his own way. That's what the word meant. And so he said to the church here, and he exhorted them using the strongest language possible, he said, guys, you need to understand, there are going to be times where you're going to have to give counsel to those who've lost their direction. You're going to have to warn those who are unruly. He was saying, guys, you've got to look out for one another. You know, we all have a tendency to lose focus in life, to get off the path that God has for us. Every single one of us have this this, uh, uh, in us at times. And Paul was saying, you know, None of us is as good as all of us. We at times need to give the warning. At times we need to receive the warning. At times we're helping the unruly. At times we are the unruly. Paul said, I've got to help you guys. I know you're going through it, and I know you want to do well for Jesus Christ. He said, listen, you need to understand as you do life together, you're going to find counsel for direction. And it's a dangerous thing when we get off track in life, and there's nobody there to point it out or to let us know. This summer, Lisa and I were uh, uh, on vacation. We went to Colorado. We go there uh, often. A lot of my trips are traveling to Colorado. We go there at Christmas, and, and we were there this summer. And we decided, as we were staying on our family farm, that we'd take a day trip over to Moab, Utah, and we'd go through Arches National Park. And uh, I, I think it was about a three-hour drive, so we got up and, and uh, made our way to Moab, and we stopped, and we got to Moab and had lunch. And then it's just, it's just right there, the entrance to Arches National Park. How many of you have been to Arches National Park? Yeah, it's worth seeing, and it's worth leaving, too, by the way, when you're done. Uh, you walk in, you're like, ooh, an arch, and then it's like, another one, and another one, and like four hours later, you're like, enough with the arches already, you know? And uh, so we went through, it was great, we were glad to see it, but when we got, when we got done with the park, we are like, uh, all right, we just want to get back to the farm, we knew we had a long drive ahead of us, it had already been a long day, and of course, the, the park tour, you're in your car, and it's just driving through a loop, and you're going very slow, we just wanted to get get back we got on the road, and the highway is just uh, a two lane. And by two lane, I don't mean two and two. It was like one going this way and one going this way. And uh, we made it through Moab, okay. Got a few miles outside of Moab. And uh, there was a horrible, horrible car accident on the highway. Sadly, there were several fatalities and uh, it, was, it was just a horrible scene. We weren't close enough. We could see all the details, but we saw the helicopter flying in and, and uh, cars driving on the shoulder of the road, emergency vehicles. And, and uh, it, it was a bad situation. And we could see on the horizon, cars trying to come this way weren't moving. We weren't going that way. And uh, if you've been in a situation like that, sometimes people just turn their cars off and get out and walk around. And that's, that's what was happening here. It was clear we weren't gonna move for a long time. The guy in front of me was a truck driver. And uh, I kind of struck a conversation up with him, and he was getting reports on his CB from guys that were closer than we were. And he said, "Man, I'm I'm hearing that it's still going to be several hours at the very least." And it had already been a long time—probably two or three hours already. We'd been sitting there, and uh, he said, "You know, there's a dirt road back there that I think could could lead you all the way around this uh, accident area, and you could just get back on the highway." up there. He said, I'd do it, but I don't think my truck could make it. But uh, he saw that I drive a, a Ford truck. Yeah, thank you. I was pausing for an amen there. Uh, Ford truck. And uh, yeah, I see talking back in this area. All right. A little Ford criticism going on. So, so anyhow, he said, your truck could totally make it. And uh, Lisa said, Steve, let's do it. Now, she's always up for an adventure, my wife, all right? She, she uh, keeps life interesting for me. And I said, well, you know, okay, all right, let's, let's uh, make an adventure of it. So here we are, and uh, already it's late in the day. It's starting to get dark, and we head down this road. And, I mean, we're going up and down and around, and it's, it's, it's not a road. I mean, it's just like two little spots in dirt, and, and uh, we're in the boonies and and the road splitting and we're like should we take this one or this one and we're driving and driving and driving at this point I'm taking inventory how many bottles of water do we have in the car okay we had an apple we had a couple cliff bars and I'm, I'm just in my mind's eye I can just see this turning into a survival situation we're so far uh, in the boonies we can't see a road we can't see a house we can't see anything and uh, I'm like I don't even think we can turn around I I don't think we could even find the road that we got here on because there were so many uh, twists and turns and and so many splits in the road and and uh, panicking wouldn't exactly be right but it don't on me that we had made this little adventure really at the encouragement of my wife therefore I concluded this was all her fault and I was letting her know that and it's getting a little intense in the cab of the old truck and and I'm thinking what are we gonna do we have no idea where we are and uh, I mean we've gone through some rough stuff we needed four-wheel drive just to get through some of these old uh, where rivers go when it rains and and uh, and uh, I thought this this is not good this is not good. And uh, it was about that time, we are so far from anything, I can't explain to you. We come and there's a car sitting on the side of the road. And uh, now, this might have been a guardian angel. I don't know why anybody would have been there. But he was sitting there. And uh, in, in, an Indian guy. And I, I don't know if that's the Navajo uh, lands or the Ute Nation or whatever it might be. But here we are and we're beginning to think, you know, what, what are we going to do? And uh, here's a guy sitting on the side of the road and and we stopped and and uh, he told us listen here's exactly what you need to do and he was very clear and gave concise directions and we were wise enough to realize we need direction we found out what happened when we headed off on an adventure, half-cocked with no idea. Our GPS wasn't helping us at all. That None of the things we were driving on our GPS-considered roads. We, we were out there, and, and here was someone that said, let me help you. Now, in, in that story, Lisa and I were the unruly, mostly Lisa. Can I get an amen there, okay? <laughs> She's not in this service. She'll be in the next one, so I'll tell it differently then. But uh, we, we were the unruly ones, all right? And that man was the one that warned us. And I want to say today that nobody likes to be told they are in need of direction. But it's a wise person who will admit it when somebody points out, hey, you're, you're off base here, you need, you need some help. Solomon in Proverbs 1 and verse 5 said, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Sometimes we think, you know, well, if I were wise, I would not need counsel, so we don't admit it when we need it. And the Bible doesn't say, hey, it's the total idiot that needs direction. It's the total idiot that needs counsel. No, 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 no. The Bible says it's a wise person who knows they don't know. And is willing to say, God, thanks for the stuff I do know, but there's a whole lot I don't know, and you put me in the middle of, of a family of faith with people at different ages and stages and areas of proficiency, and I can speak into their life, and they can speak into my life. That's the way it works. Solomon in Proverbs 11 went on to say this. He said, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors there is safety now I want to accuse you I'll let myself be the glowing example of how not to do it I can think of the times in my life where I've blown it and it's been because there was no counsel I didn't go to somebody that knew more than me that was down the road further than me that had different life experiences than me and say hey, what do you think about this? I was considering this just full rushing into things and friends I'm telling you there's a way to avoid a lot of the pain we go through in life It's to understand the value of placing yourself in a position to receive counsel for Directions and small groups are a great way to caravan through life with others who are heading in the same direction It's the perfect venue to share the good things that God has given you and to receive from the good things that God has given given to others we receive counsel for direction secondly we see here we receive comfort when discouraged i love the next words here the bible says comfort the feeble-minded the feeble-minded now feeble-minded i know it doesn't sound real attractive but what that expression means is to lose hope or enthusiasm um if you actually break the word feeble-minded down in the language of the New Testament, it means to have a weak soul. And we wouldn't say it that way. We might say it this way. I'm losing heart. I'm losing heart. It means to be discouraged. The Bible says here, comfort the feeble-minded. You know, one thing I've learned in life is that we all deal with discouragement from time to time along the way. And God has a plan for those times. God has a plan for those times. His plan is that we would be intentional about living in Christian communities so we'll be exposed to the comfort in our time of need. This command, to comfort, the feeble-minded, was given to a church family. Paul was telling this church, hey, times are here and more times will come that will try you. You're going to get emotionally drained. So when you are up, encourage others. And when you are down, receive encouragement from others. And friends, for this to work, we have to make time to be with others. We have to make time. We have to make that commitment. And that's really what small groups provide for us in our culture. It's just saying, hey, I'm X and out of time on my calendar. Where I'm going to get together with other people of faith. I'm going to live this Christian life. We, we can't possibly obey the verse I'm teaching from today if we don't put ourselves in the context where that can practically be done. Small groups are, among other things, a weekly appointment to be with our church family. Now, this whole book of 1 Thessalonians is really just filled with comfort. That's why Paul wrote it, the comfort. Comfort. Chapter 4 ends this way. Comfort one another with these words. Uh, a verse or two before our text in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, the Bible says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Giving and receiving comfort is so crucial in life. It happens to me Often. Often. Someone will come to me and say, Pastor, you probably noticed I've been gone for a while. I've been going through a hard time. I've been really discouraged. And when I hear that, my visceral response is, how can I help? But in the back of my mind is the thought, why did you go away? Because you were discouraged when God created a place for you to run to when you have a need. Sometimes we're hiders when God wants us to be healers. We abandon the very place that God in his love created for his children to go to receive so much of what we need in life. As Paul opened this verse, he directed it to, to brethren, sister, and in there it, it's family. He's, he's basically saying, guys, we're all in this together. We're family. If God is your heavenly Father, that makes us brothers and, and sisters. And in God's word in Proverbs 17 and verse 17, with that word brother in mind, the Bible says, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity and let me tell you about your life and my life we're going to go through adverse situations and the bible says that that's the purpose for having brothers and sisters in your life when you go through adversity they're there for you one of the great joys of living the christian life participating in the community of your church family is relationship that encourages us when we're in the midst of adversity i want us to see thirdly today that We make the decision to live life with our family of faith. We see connection when we're distressed. Connection. Now, the idea of comfort is to be there when someone needs a friend. But there are those times, and by the way, sometimes that's exactly what we need, just somebody to be there for us, with us. But then there are those times that something needs to be done. And and that's what this next point is all about. Paul's next words say this, support... The weak. Now, now, again, maybe you've got a little bit of what I got in me, and you hear words like feeble-minded and unruly and weak, and, and you're thinking, well, I'm not weak. And, and yet we've got we've to get the context here. Again, Paul's reaching. He's using the boldest words he can use to get people's attention. And the word weak here means to be without strength physically or spiritually. And, friends, if you live long enough, you're going to have plenty of times in your life where you're running low on strength both physically and spiritually. We all go through times like that. Some of you have heard me tell the story of the first guest speaker we ever had at Coastline. Uh, he was a pastor friend of mine from up north in Orange County, and, and uh, I invited him to come teach a Bible study. We are meeting in our living room, and uh, he said he would come. And, and I almost regretted it as soon as I asked him because I thought, you know, he pastors a great big church, and he's coming to talk in my living room. This is just weird. He's going to totally not enjoy this, but it was too late. I invited him, and he said yes. And uh, we were getting ready for the night, and Lisa came to me. She said, Steve... Uh, Hey, I I just want you to know I want you to know now rather than later we got no food And we got no money and uh, so I checked the fridge and we had a box of baking soda in there I'm like well you can whip something up out of that probably you know (laughs) eat some baking soda and and, uh, She said Steve. I I don't know what I'm gonna feed the kids tomorrow and I don't know how your kids are if you have children Uh, We have two. by the way. I have another grandson my only grandson Yeah, he'll be here in the next service. Eli Steven, that, the middle name's after me. So, uh, so uh, uh, what am I talking about? Who are you people? I totally lost my mind there. But at any rate, uh, when our girls were at home, they loved to eat. Just about every morning they wanted to eat something. Uh, mid-morning they wanted more. Late morning, and then they were ready for lunch and wanted snacks in the afternoon. And, and so, you know, no food, no money, Th- this is a problem. And uh, so this is on the back of my mind, and, and I remember that night we just had a very poor turnout, and that made me even sadder, you know. So here we are meeting in our living room, and I invited this guy he has got a big church, and and uh, uh, we had a smaller number than, than even I was expecting, but you know he came and he he could not have been more kind, just gracious and encouraging, and uh, I want you to know what he did by his presence. He comforted me. I was in discomfort. His presence, comfort, just him being there, just him being there brought comfort. But he took it one step further with what he did next. He went from comforting, which was necessary, to connecting. He said, Steve, would you come out to my car with me? Which I did. His car was absolutely full, front to back, trunk, everything with groceries. And his church knew our family was starting a church, and they know typically that means you're broke, and it comes down to having not much at all. He had no idea the situation we were in, but when he told his church, hey, I'm going to be preaching at a at a church called Coastline and it's just getting started and we're even going to be meeting in the pastor's home. Let's do something nice for these guys. Why don't we all bring some groceries next week? I'll put them in my car and, and I could take those uh, t- to the chapel family. And, and he was a comfort, but he did more than that. He saw the need, took the lead. He made a connection. He he ministered to us and, and it changed everything, not just in that night. It was just an incredible, deeply uh, moving blessing. And friends, I want you to know there is an apparatus at Coastline Baptist Church that reaches out to us when we are in a time of weakness. The apparatus is our small group ministry. Without exaggeration, every day people from our church are going to the homes of others in our church who are in a time of adversity and delivering meals and making visits to those who are sick and just stopping by to encourage those that are going through a time of, of heartache. And yes, I'm to be involved in that, but if, if the extent of the ministry done in the church is done by the pastor or a staff not much ministry is going to be done I'm talking about people involved in small groups loving others in that same small group and in their church family it makes a difference this is New Testament Christianity this American concept we've got to put it to bed friends we got to get back to the Bible and say what would the Lord Jesus have us to do I'm grateful you're here it's clear in the New Testament they set times aside to gather together where a teacher would teach in fact in Bible Times the teacher would sit down and those listening would stand up. We should try that one week. Okay, Uh, this is good What we're doing here, but the idea that this is dedicated Christianity is an absolute farce Jesus said by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another So within the context of our church it can be called any number of things we have small groups Times to get together. It's all about lending a helping hand when others need it and receiving one when you need it. It's a family relationship. Solomon in Proverbs 11 added this. He said, The liberal soul shall be made fat. In other words, he's saying here the person who's who's generous in their life, they're going to be blessed and he said, "And he that watereth shall be watered also himself." In small groups, we get to water one another and as you water those in need, there's people that water you in your time of need. And that leads to the final thought this morning. It's a place where we find commitment when we're developing. Closing words here, tie it all together, and Paul had to include them. He said, be patient toward all men. The word patient means this, remain even-tempered, even while enduring trying circumstances. And patience is necessary for any relationship to grow. It just takes time to develop in life. Stories told of a lady who approached famous violinist Fritz Chrysler, and she enjoyed his music so much. And it said that she said to him, I'd give my life to be able to play as beautifully as you do. To which he replied, I have. He said, Interesting, that's exactly what I've done. I've dedicated my life to this. I did not start out here. This has been a work in progress. So, for our faith life to work, we must determine to give and receive space and grace. Space and grace. Oh, man, I thank God for people who have been patient to me. Uh, Far more zeal than knowledge when we were getting started, and there were some wonderfully mature, loving Christian people at Coastline that helped me, encouraged me, connected with me. At times, were just patient enough to put up with me. I certainly haven't arrived. I'm grateful for what I've learned. But, you know, we're all here at a different place in in our journey. Hopefully we're heading the same direction. It's imperative that we'll give people space and that we'll give grace because we're all a work in progress. To, To the Christians in Colossae, Paul wrote it this way. He said, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye." Paul said, church, I've got to tell you something. Uh, it's incongruent for a Christian to have a grudge in his heart against another Christian. That's not at all how Jesus would have it to be done. This is in my notes, but you know, I've been studying the book of Acts a lot lately. I've got several messages coming up from there on Sunday nights primarily. I have found every time the Bible mentions the church was unified, what follows is a story of some miraculous thing that took place. Because fractured churches... Don't enjoy the power of the Spirit of God. He demands, he requires, not uniformity, space, and grace, but unity. Unity is a word that gives you the idea that there's room in there for space and grace. doesn't mean we cave in on truth, on doctrine, on theology, but it means we have a heart that that we're committed to one another while developing. We're committed to the process. We're committed to others and they to us. And again, carrying a grudge is incongruent with the heart of Jesus Christ. On Sunday evenings through uh, all of last year, we studied the the life of David. I stepped away from that series a little bit. We're going to get back to it in in a while. But we've been studying the life of, of King David, and he did so much good in his life. But in the interest of being thorough, I've made it a point to cover every single verse in David's life. And they're not all pretty yeah, so much good. He's the standard bearer for what a good king looks like. I I often say you can't truly know your Bible and not know King David because David's mentioned over 1,100 times, second only to Jesus Christ. I mean, he's a big deal in the Bible. And in sharing each verse in the life of David, I had to share what I believe is the saddest passage that Tells us that there was a time in David's life where he had an affair with a woman and she became pregnant. And to try to cover his sin, he had her husband, who was in the military, put to the hottest part of a battle. And then he told everybody to withdraw from around him. He, he basically organized murder to cover up his sin. And it was shocking, it was scandalous. This could not be the David we've come to know. The David who is a man, the Bible says, after a heart for God. But he did it now it was an anomaly we don't read he had done anything like that before nor do we read he did anything like that afterward it was one moment in his life in which he made a terrible decision that hurt so many people but the verse that leads into that story gives us some really important clues First Samuel 11 and verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah but David tarried still at Jerusalem you get on into the next verse and below we see David's life unraveling at the edges making the worst decisions of his life but the key is understanding the Bible tells us it was the time when kings went forth to battle and David didn't go he sent the leader of his military Joab he sent his other servants generals he sent the military if you're listening say amen. amen David had a group of men around him that knew him and he knew them he was a king there is no doubt about that but it was a group that provided a good sense of checks and balances it was a small group It's exactly what it was And David came to a time in his life where he said guys go go ahead I I don't need you right now and it's not accidental that it was in that moment when he alienated himself from that group that was around him that he made the worst decision in his life now the moral of that story is not oh look at David what a bum we are way better than him. We'd never do anything like that. No, 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 that's not the purpose of that being included in the word of God. That's a warning to the rest of us that if a giant of the faith like David could do something as dumb as he did when he sent that group out of his life, we all would be really wise to say, God, no man is an island. I don't want to live in isolation. Help me to live in community. And in our context, the the very best way to do that is to say, you know, as I'm able, seven days a week groups meet, all different times, night, morning, in, in the daytime. One of the best decisions you can make is to surround yourself with others with whom you can give and receive counsel and care and connection and commitment. Simply put, Christian living is a team sport. It's a team sport. The Lord set it up this way. As Paul started this incredible verse, he said, Now we exhort you, brethren. And there's an implication in that word. There's an implication that they're family. It's implied that he's writing to people who are in a church. And one of the cornerstones being a part of a church, they call it regenerate church membership. In other words, you've been born again spiritually. According to the Bible, you can't truly be a part of a church if you're not a personal follower of Jesus Christ. And so he wrote to these people and, and said, you guys are family. We're brothers. We're sisters in the Lord. We share God as our Father. We're siblings. Everything I said today is true, not because I said it. Because we took one verse of scripture, I defined every word in it. I love it. (laughs) Pastor, I didn't like your message. Well, that's okay. If you don't like my delivery, you're probably right, but you could not dislike the content. I did what I'm supposed to do. I read the word, I gave the sense, and I sought to help the people understand. That's what the Bible says. But it's all based on Our ability to say with confidence, I truly am a child of God. I know if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I don't know everything. This church didn't know everything. I don't know everything, but I do know that God's my heavenly Father and that others who believe the same are my heavenly brothers and sisters. It's based on that confidence. Our Father, we're grateful that your word is so clear and plain